0: You're listening to the official Ankeny Community School District podcast, We Are Ankeny, where we're sparking conversations about all things Ankeny Schools. Thanks for joining us today on our podcast. Our roundtable discussion today is about project-based learning, or PBL, and how it will expand throughout our district in the near future. Ankeny Schools was an early adopter when we launched our Orbis program in 2020. Today we have um, Jason Clark, a U.S. history teacher at Centennial High School. Fun fact about Jason, and I hesitate to say this because he's um, he went to he's a supporting Indiana University, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Jason was the director of eSports at Indiana University, and I'm a Purdue Boilermaker, so I I won't hold that against you. (laughs)
1: We'll get get through
0: it. Yes, we'll get through it. Um, (laughs) I I don't know how, but we'll get through it. Um, He's implemented project-based learning into his classroom and will offer his uh, successes and advice. Hannah Robertson's background includes consulting um, with school districts, including Ankeny Schools, But incorporating about incorporating PBL. She helped us envision Orbis and advised on how to incorporate PBL with community um, company projects. Hannah has held several positions where she was responsible for the formal and informal education of adults in non traditional learning environments. She has also uh, conducted extensive research on integrating technology into different. Um, instructional strategies during her graduate work. Uh, I am really excited to have you with us, Hannah.
2: Thank you very much,
0: and also you, Jason. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't say that with your with, with your bio. Yeah. Um, next, we have Amy Ditmar, assistant uh, superintendent for Ankeny Schools, who is directing the design thinking process to develop the programming for the, the district's new innovative hub. Welcome to the three of you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And so, Jason, uh, Jason, I'm I'm going to start off with you. Um, and so, uh, with your experience with P- uh, PBL, how did you first get introduced to project-based learning, and, and what inspired you to incorporate it into your teaching practices?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, mine kind of was multifold of everything kind of came together, is that when I first started looking at teaching as a potential career, I, I was looking at, like, my own limitations that I have, mm-hmm. and that, like, I was in the military, at TBI, I was... Blown up all the, all the cool fun stuff, and uh, so that dealt for me. Does a memory and speech. So I was like, "What branch? Army." Ar- okay, we, we just stay divided. I know. No,
0: no, my my daughter's in the army. Okay, so, okay, know, okay. There's okay. there's love with <laughs> army.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, uh, so I started thinking like, there's no way I'll be able to talk all day because my speech catches up with me sometimes, and I'm not going to remember. So, um, what can, what's a way I can do it? So i was still trying to figure that out. Um, and in student teaching, I kept like, as you know, student teacher trying to survive. But I kept noticing, like, I kept falling back into, like, worksheets and recall and grind to a test. And I was like, man, these kids definitely hate this. And I hated it. Like, why don't I keep doing it? And then about that time, I kept seeing stuff all over social media and friends and stuff. And the constant complaint of I never learned that in school. Mm. Right. And um, so all those kind of came together. Like, well, what's a way that, like, I can help kids to a point where, like, when they're my age, they can just look stuff up. Right. And they know how to do it. And what are ways I can get through a day without like just mumbling through seventh and eighth period and forgetting what happened in the first periods? Um, And then what way can I engage students? And then a mentor of mine at the time was an e-learning specialist and he was very into like using digital tools. And he was like, hey, you ever looked at like just projects and using digital tools to do that? And so the more I looked into it and I was like, man, that kind of folds everything in together that I'm looking for. And so that's when I started leaning and experimenting and trying new stuff with it.
0: And so so not, not only did it um, fill a bucket for you as uh, a, a new teacher, you were also thinking about your students as far as students learn differently. And yeah. so when you think about um, PBL, h- how does this appeal to um, your traditional student, but then also y- y- your students who don't respond to that traditional approach
1: to teaching? So uh, for me, it was another one of those worries is like when I was like, Okay, I have kids that they all learn different patterns, especially have kids with IEPs and 504s. And so it was like an early teacher. was like, you look at when you get your first list of all that stuff and you're like, how the heck, how am I going to handle all this? <laughs> and then when you ask people, they're like, bro, I just survived. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, and so when I started thinking, of, well, if I can do it, we're like, hey, let's do it a project-based thing. I can introduce it. That gives me a lot of more time to work one-on-one and actually build those relationships right. and get to know those kids and how they learn best and I could differentiate it there on a more one-on-one level and can still get to the same learning goal but make those changes for them there as we're working together. And I think PBL is flexible like that, whereas if you're just doing more traditional stuff, that structure, you got to kind of have multiple avenues versus the same end game on it. Right, right. So, so
0: Hannah, you have a lot of experience with, with PBL, and so what would you say are the overarching benefits um, to students that – school districts may not all not always think about?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And I was a middle school teacher before I did any of those things. Um, I went to grad school in Texas and then came back and, and did some teaching. Um, so I taught middle school science for about eight years and started teaching very traditionally, right? Mm-hmm. You gave notes, you took tests, you did formative assessments, you maybe did a project here and there. Um, but I had a teaching partner um, whose name is Corey and she and I just decided that Kind of a lot like Jason was saying, we were missing the kids that weren't traditional learners, right? Mm -hmm. We were missing the kids that had been labeled with some label or another, whatever they are. There's X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Right. Um, And so those kids know about those labels, right? They know that they learn differently, but nobody had ever helped them learn how to learn their own way. Right. And so we started to kind of play with different types of projects and different um, just choice, student choice in our classrooms. And then once our principals saw that, they were like, well, I think you guys maybe need to be trained on, you know, how to do this formally. And so Corey and I had the opportunity to participate in several years of very intense PBL training. Um, The Buck Institute, it was the Buck Institute now, it's PBL Works Now. They were, uh, they pushed into our, district and had somebody on site for two years. So um, about every other month, we got pulled for two or three days to go re-up what we were doing and design new lessons and work on new units. Um, And then we also had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to participate in the Apple challenge-based learning training. So Apple, like your phone, your computer, they do their own Um, Project-based learning course for teachers, and so I got to do that. It's a two-week-long class. Um, It was pretty intense too. Um, The cool thing about it is they do incorporate all of the Apple tools, so GarageBand, all the video stuff. Like it was, it was cool. It was fun. Um, But when we got all that done, we were able to come back and teach almost primarily with project-based learning. And one of the things that we saw was, and I I taught a course during Summer Academy for the Ankeny teachers this summer in PBL, um, and I showed them these numbers, and I think that that was wild for them. But, you know, I had a class, and I, I told the story to Jason in that class. Um, I taught three classes of seventh grade science, and one of my classes had 32 kids in it, uh, 15 were on IEPs, and I had five paras in that classroom mm. for seventh grade science. Yeah. and. The other half of the kids happened to be my honor students because of the way like band and choir and everything worked out. So the dichotomy of trying to teach that class was challenging. Um, And so we looked, I, you know, we still did a a formative, a pre-assessment, still did formative assessments along the way in this PBL process. They still took a test at the end. Um, So the test average in that class was about 20 points lower than when you pulled those kids out, than the average of across all of my classes. But at the end, they all were in the mid nineties as far as what they were able to, to show us that they knew. And so by giving them that choice, and I think just making them feel some agency and some responsibility for what they were learning, instead of just giving them a label and telling them they needed help and which is, it has to happen sometimes, Um, But for them to have the agency over their own learning, I think, was super, super important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what's what's great about that is that that eventually came to Ankeny in the form of a class that we offer our students in in Orbis. And so. And now we're we're in the beginning stages of talking about our innovative secondary hub and what that could potentially look like, the programming. And so, Amy, when you think about where we are with PBL, and you know, we see it in pockets um, across our two high schools, but we you know, have this class in Orbis um, that is um, um, re- revolves around group work and thinking, um, what excites you about uh, uh, project-based learning and what it could potentially mean for um, our students uh, here in Ankeny?
3: Yeah, what excites me is what I just heard Jason and Hannah talk about, right? The stories, the experiences, the results that they're getting um, by presenting this way of learning for our students. And so I think we do a great job um, in that Orbis um, classroom of presenting learning in a way that gives students voice and choice and really puts a lot of their um, skills into play. Um, <clears throat> but I also know that we're, you can see it in several classrooms across our entire system, you know, pre-K through 12, um, not just in the high schools. But um, I think what's most exciting is we think about this idea of college and career readiness or post-secondary success, and if we're really going to pre- prepare our kids for um, what the world exists you know how it exists today after high school would be to give them opportunities to really strengthen those collaboration skills and those problem solving skills and you know being curious and um, you know just critical thinkers and all those the skill set I think that comes along with you know how we present um, the learning to kids and, and the standards that not only the standards that they acquire but um, but also just the skills that they acquire through that interaction with their peers. So I think that's what excites me the most is, is reaching all the different types of learners in our classrooms, um, but also just um, building those that skill set and those tools for them to be successful after high school.
0: Absolutely. And so, Jason, Amy talked about the experience. And so can, can you um, share some success stories around how this experience with PBL um might just be a little different, but just as impactful for the kids that you're supporting at centennial
1: absolutely so I actually have um two fun little stories I think fit this pretty well um one was uh one of my favorite things and she, she mentioned it earlier was that like having that different avenues like the different submission types and when i typically when I first start doing it, it's the same old like oh, can you a paper? can this be bullet pointed? can this be a powerPoint that kind of thing. And then slowly you'll have kids branch out of, like, had a kid do a song because he was trying to, like, he's really into hip-hop and he wanted to incorporate that. And so he wrote original stuff and it was really cool. And that inspired other kids to be like, oh, I can I can do it in other ways, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them even looked at it like, he just did the same thing I did, but it was only 100 words versus the 2,000 I wrote. That seems easier. I'll write the song too. <laughs> right. Um. But in, like, podcasts like we're doing now or live stream, um, one of my favorites was the kid. It was, we were talking about abolition and, like, how did abolitionists sell the idea of abolition, right? And someone was, could not get off the idea of, like, Google Slides or PowerPoint or something like that. But he kept, I kept pushing him and pushing and pushing to try Hey, keep trying to experiment out. And he came across something called pitch decks. Mm. And so he was like, well, what if I can actually sell the idea? And so he created a very awesome, detailed, data-driven pitch deck and was just – working on his own and the more he kept seeing examples and learning stuff and he ended up getting one where it was something like, like beats by Dre pitch deck, like example he found or something. <laughs> yeah. And he ended up like incorporating that as an example for like selling the idea of abolition. Uh, so that was really cool. And then my other, my most recent success was like P Bell classrooms look way different, right? Like you're going to have, it's going to be noisy. It's going to be loud. You're going to have to like give up some of that control and let kids just do their thing. Right. And, um, Typically now, like, if other teachers come by, not, I'm not going to blanket state all of them, but teachers will come by and be like, I saw some kids, they had their phones out, and I'm like, oh, they're allowed to at this time. They're working. It's their time, right? Right. Um, and they'll be like, oh, like, that kid's just hanging out. I'm like, hey, maybe he's taking a break. Oh, it's his work time. Right. right. Um, but I, uh, across, like, a across um, test. I was, I was like, guys, I really don't like doing tests. I like using the project base. So I was like, but we'll do your tests. We'll make you guys happy. And, like, on an average, my my students did, like, it was, like, 88%. Wow. And, like, the others were around that, like, 82, 83, 85. And I was, like, and and the one question my kids missed across the board was something I specifically we didn't talk about. And the rest of their stuff versus directly, like, teaching about it is part of their, their project they worked on was source analysis. And so just by going through the source and seeing who wrote it and why is it important, that sort of thing... They picked up the content that way. Yeah. So we're learning the skill of source analysis, but picked up the content just by doing that. Right. And so I was like, I don't have to grill them all day with the PowerPoint. They're gonna learn it. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. And so so Hannah, you know, we we've been talking about PBL, I think at a at a, a really high level. Um and so for our listeners that may be educators that may be familiar with PBL, they they understand what um you and Jason and Amy have been talking about. But can you for our listeners who aren't teachers or educators, uh, let's come down a level and talk about, you know, what does it actually look like, you know, from beginning to end um, from a student perspective? So can, can you just walk us through um, at, at that level as far as what if I'm a parent and my child comes home and says that we're engaged in PBL, what what should I expect um, my, my child to experience for X amount of weeks um, in your classroom?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and it looks, I'm going to put a caveat at the beginning that it's different. Yep. Um, so a PBL project in a first grade classroom is going to look different than a PBL project in a seventh grade classroom. And that's going to look different than a PBL project yep. in a senior seminar. Right. Yep. And so there's always a level of scaffolding that has to exist when you start anything like this, because there's going to have to be various amounts of structure depending on what you're teaching and who you're teaching it to. Um, and, and, so,
0: and so for our listeners, scaffolding is a process of building knowledge correct. for the students that are in our classroom.
2: Correct. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and so my, I taught seventh grade. So just to kind of hedge in between the two, uh, I still started with a handful of notes Um, And so I would just some definitions just to kind of get them pointed in the right direction because they're not quite old enough to turn completely loose, but they're big enough to kind of figure it out on their own. So, what I would do is introduce the project with a little bit of information. But then, one thing that all PBL projects have in common is they start with a problem or a situation, something that's going on in the community, something that happened historically. There is a problem that needs to be solved and throughout the process of the project the problem gets solved Um, and so that again looks different from kindergarten to a senior Uh, but what would happen over the course of the weeks sometimes months of these projects is that your student would be introduced to a topic Uh, they would be given a problem to solve regarding that topic And then given some kind of information about that topic, whether it be lots of information because they're little or not very much information because they're big. Um, But then from there, you know, they are just tasked simply with solving that problem. And the outcomes and the output of those projects look different, again, from little littles to bigs. so you may only give a kindergartner three options mm-hmm. as far as what their product is going to be. Do you want to sing a song? Do you want to draw a poster? Do you want to go talk to the school board? Right. You know, whereas your seniors, you just, how are you going to solve it? And what's that going to look like? Is it going to be a business? Is it going to be education? Is it going to be like, what, are, how are you going to solve that? And so that looks different again, depending on the age. But Jason hit on a really important point that it does look chaotic. Yeah. Um, so there are going to be days that your student will come home and you'll be like, what did you do in your PBL project today? And they'll be like, I don't really know. (laughs) And that's okay because you have to have those days. It's just like being an adult human in an adult human job. You come home some days and you're like, I don't think that I actually accomplished anything today. Um, and so you start again the next day. And so, um, kind of what Amy pointed out that One of the things that even the littles will come home with is that sense of agency and that sense of control of their own learning environment. And they get really excited about, at all levels, get really excited about what they're doing because it becomes their learning. It's not teacher prescribed learning. It's not set and get where they have sat and taken notes all day and just have to regurgitate. Like one of the things that I wrote down when I was making notes for this is that it is real meaningful learning Mm. like these are things that kids are going to remember and be able to use because a they had to work hard to get it right and b it means something to them because that's the whole point of these projects is that they're not just spitting out papers that regurgitate facts there's nothing wrong with that we all need to do that from time to time but they make this learning their own and they put a slant on it that interests them so they're automatically more engaged because it's something they want to do. Yep.
0: And so, so Jason, you had mentioned earlier about assessments that you, you eventually gave gave your your students. Um, and so, I know a, a question that our parents may have is if we can expect a little bit of chaos during um, some PBL sessions um, with our with our uh, our students. How how do you grade our students? Um, how how do they how, how do they get grades? And how do you know that they're making progress during the course of a particular project uh, that leads up to uh, an eventual assessment or presentation
1: of their PBL project? Absolutely. So we we do we work a lot with the rubrics. Where we keep like, hey, here's where you're at, and we'll do check-ins. I think that's that benefit like talking about earlier is I had that one on one time. Mm-hmm. Is I have more time to get around and be like, hey, here's kind of where we feeling, where we're we looking. Like here, I think you're on a good progressing level versus like uh you're getting to meeting, you're almost there, keep okay. keep building up, that sort of thing. Um, how you translate that into an A or a B, I think that comes down to whatever your your team is, right? Right. Um and then a a lot of it's just it gets hard when you're trying to have the idea of grading a skill, right? Um, the content's the easy part. You can, you can do the test and know if they know something. the skill set. And I think that's where I build in like what I call like these, uh, the shorts or the sprints, where it's like, we're going to do this first step, right? And then we're going to do the next step. And the idea is eventually like we're going to get to like a mid-semester point or a 12-week point where you know all these steps, and you, you know where your skill level is on these steps. All right, let's put it all together. Let's do let do a full home run and see where that takes us. Yeah, and I think when you do those sprints or steps, then you can, you can grade on that, and then give an expectation of like you know where your weaknesses are, you know where your strengths are. You're a parent; you can see where the weaknesses and the strengths are, so you can support your kid when they do the bigger ones. And that's that's kind of how I the way I take it. Okay, and okay. then when we get to those big ones, it's it's similar to the same way. Like, how do we build on our strengths? What do we improve on? Okay, we loosened up here. What happened? Right, and you get that time for feedback and growth. Yeah.
0: So that the the rubrics that you're using are really foundational to yeah. working with the students one on one and uh, adjusting how you're supporting all all the students individually in, in
1: in the class. Absolutely, I mean, if if the rubric says like, "Hey, we're supposed to be analyzing the thing," right? Then we can really get down into it. Like, okay, you use this method to analyze. The, was that successful for you? Right. All right. Do there's multiple ways to analyze. So like, okay, if this one didn't work for you. Try a different one. Um, but that rubric can kind of guide me to know where they're at and guide the student to know where they're at and the parent to see, like, even if it's just a check of just going up or over, like, that has a lot of significance, too. Yeah.
0: And So, so Amy, I, I've talked a lot about over the past two and a half years about continuous improvement. And so you know, the way you see it, how does PBL fit into our, our goal of uh, being a district that, focuses on continuous improvement, and how, how, how does PBL get us there?
3: <clears throat> yeah, so I think a couple things come to mind as as you say that question. Um, for one, in our strategic plan, right, one of the strategies is that every classroom will have, every student will have an experience in a PBL project once a year. So going back to scaffolding, right, like we scaffold students and their knowledge, but we have often to have to scaffold teachers and their knowledge. So when you think about continuous improvement, um, we need to honor teachers where they're at right now and, and and celebrate where they're at right now with their instructional strategies and how they deliver instruction, how they get kids to meet those standards, they, how they collect evidence on that learning that Jason spoke of. Um, but we we also know that, again, we need to prepare kids for um, post-secondary success, whatever their pathway may be after high school. And I think this idea of continuous improvement is okay, what's our current reality with instruction? How are our kids doing? But how can we get better and improve um, so that we prepare kids um, for their individual career plan? Um, So, you know, just constantly um, using feedback from teachers, using um, observation, um, what's the best practices and research that say out there, right? And just constantly looking at our own practices and seeing and reflecting on those and seeing how we can improve.
0: Absolutely. And so as we think about the innovative secondary hub and um, in our strategic plan and 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 wanting all of our students to have um, an experience with with PBL. Hannah, what would you recommend or what have you experienced as being most effective around professional development to build this skill set for um, our teachers and administrators around supporting PBL? Um, in our schools?
2: Yeah. So I said earlier, you know, I've had extensive training and I think that's the key, right? Like, so we were able to be that intensively trained because we had district support to be that intensively trained. We had subs in our classrooms for sure when we needed to be gone. You know, we were given extra time to work and plan on those things. We also Um, rolled that out then. So across the district, it was about the same size district um, as Ankeny, and there were 60 of us um, all across the whole staff that got pulled into this training. And then we were kind of armed to train everybody else to some degree. Um, But we were kind of the guinea pigs and the trainers at that point. Uh, But I think that that's where it has to start is that district support. Like there was never a question why we were out of our classroom. There was never a question why we were doing what appeared to be crazy things in our classrooms. Right. And so we had the full support of our administrators, of our fellow teachers. And I think that is step number one, regardless of how you go about it is It would have been very difficult to be as excited about it as I was and implement it as quickly as I did if I felt like I was fighting an uphill battle Mm. professionally. Um, And so I think that is huge. And so I, I, I think that that's where you have to start is, you know, you can't, just like we can't expect our kids to start learning this way day one, we can't expect our teachers to start teaching this way day one. Absolutely. And so, I mean, I taught for a long time this way and then was asked to come back and teach a summer academy course this summer. For Ankeny, and I had to kind of retrain myself even because I've been out of education for a little bit. And so that was a lot of the feedback that I felt like we got this summer too was they want to teach this way and they understand the value of teaching this way, mm-hmm. but it's a lot. Yeah, um, You kind of have to overhaul the way you teach things. To make this work. And so I think that that just the support from the from the backside is super important to get teachers excited about it from a professional development side. Mm. Because and I can speak from being a teacher, like there's nothing that's more frustrating than going to a professional development, getting excited about something and then realizing you don't have the resources or the time to implement it. that's just demoralizing and not very much fun. And so nobody wins in that situation. So I think that that's um, just having had that support. That was the thing that made me most successful as an educator. And then from the teaching the professional development side, you know, to have principals encourage whole content teams to come to that class last summer and to have an entire fourth grade team sit at a table and rework a lesson and like just the encouragement of those kinds of collaborations are huge because then they left with something they could use, and that feels good.
0: Absolutely, and so I, I've had the opportunity. I have lots of opportunities to talk with uh, teachers, administrators, and you know, one of the challenges that um, teachers and administrators talk about is student engagement and how we manage technology in 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 the classroom. And so I would imagine. Um, a, a part of PBL is the use of technology, sure. and so Jason, how do you approach um, managing the use of technology, but then also ensuring that uh, they're staying engaged with um, the project that they're currently working on?
1: Absolutely. So for me, it's the the first thing I do is like I had to figure out the to let loose some of that control. Mm-hmm. Right. I had to like, and and I do it in a way where it's some kids. I, I'm very instructional in time management, right? It's it's from day one. It's here's what time management is. Here's when to do it. Some kids would be like, okay, great. Um, sometimes they'll like with the AI tools, we've been able to do it. Like here's a prompt, put it in. It developed a uh, timeline for you. Follow that timeline. Some kids, and I was one of those kids. You could have told me all day, and I ain't gonna follow it, right? <laughs> right. Um, I had to fail to learn, and I and that's part of that. I had to let go of that control and let kids fail, and then. This is a great time for them to fail. Like if you fail with me, I'm here to help you act up and get you going. Right. So that way when they get to college, they get the career, then they've they've had that experience and learn. And so um moving that forward was just losing that control, letting them get their hands like, hey, I, I bombed this, my mom's email, my teacher, what am I gonna do? And then telling them why, like, hey, they it was their work time, they had an opportunity to be on the phone. And then we address that, right? Like, hey, you were on your phone the whole time. And so then they start to like once you get them to kind of like get into it and start to like work, and then when they see their work has a product mm-hmm. and other kids are seeing it and they're hearing cool feedback, or they do something cool like the song, and then their other kids are like, "Okay, that was kind of cool." Then as that then intrinsic starts to come in, right? They they're like, "Okay, I, I kind of want to do more of this." Right. And then by losing that control, you're, you're releasing that ownership, right? Like then they're taking it. Yeah. And so once they had it, then you're, it's going to go up. But that doesn't, like she said, doesn't start day one. Right. Like we're just getting to the point where it's like maybe we can do a bigger one, yeah. Because you guys have all failed a bunch uh, <laughs> on your time management, but now we can learn and kind of move forward and do the bigger stuff. Yeah,
0: Hannah, similar experience. Do you have anything else to add?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's that's perfect. And what he said is there is some. Automatic buy in because one really important part of PBL projects that we haven't really addressed yet is that the product at the end should be public facing. Mm -hmm. So that can be public within the building, that can be public within the community, that can be public on the internet, it it can just be public. I've had kids do YouTube videos, I've had kids do commercials, I mean, just all kinds of things. Um, But once they maybe fumble a little bit and then they still have to present that project. To the public. Like that yeah. doesn't necessarily feel great, right. you know? Right. And they're like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have spent three class periods on my phone. Right. <laughs> right. Cause I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it is chaotic and it is a little bit unstructured, but there's still accountability built in. And I think right. as a parent and as a teacher, that's something important to hear is, you know, we're not just letting them do whatever. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work like that. There's still stop gaps. There's still accountability. There's still projects and grades and things so
0: so what i hear it, although it, from the outside perspective it may look chaotic there's a lot of structure in that chaos that's been created in the classroom
1: yeah, yeah. definitely there's still kids that want that structure right? They, right they still feel comfortable in that structure and they some don't like the chaos and they're like i, I really rather do it the other way and i think that's where you get that time to build in. we're like well what structure look like for you do you need me to be with you come by once a day to see where you're at to do that or i need to tap on your desk to be like Maybe, you know, I'm still here, right? I'm I'm still the big teacher wandering around. Right, right. Um, and some of them want that. And I think that's where that relationship built part comes in, right? Of knowing what the differentiation of what each kid needs is not just the content or the skill. It's also just being there in that structure for them. Right. When
2: it's being able to push, like, I was a, a school kid. I ended up being a teacher, right? So I liked school. Right. Um, my brother was not a school kid. Mm. And so what I saw a lot was the kids like me that wanted the checklist and the gold star and struggled with this at first, because I just want you to tell me what I need to do to get an A. (laughs) Just tell me what to do. And you can't like, that's not how this works. And, um, whereas somebody like my brother, um, who may take a minute to get into this, but then once he's in it, he's in it because, it makes more sense to him. So, I mean, I think that there is a good mix of kids that need structure being able to either create their own structure or live in a land with a little less structure, which is good for those of us that are not flexible and a little rigid in our lives, uh, me included. Uh, I'll just throw myself squarely <laughs> right. under the bus on that. but it's also really, really good then for the kid in their group that is typically the one that is not good at group projects and not good at school to be the one that's good at something all of a sudden. Right, And right. that's a huge thing. Yeah,
0: that's great. And so, Amy, you know, we've, we've had the opportunity to, to, to collect a lot of data from um, our students' experiences uh, with the Orbis program um, and with our strategic plan we know that we have a lot of work to do with regards to making sure that our um, our 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 principals and our teachers are prepared for implementing this um, from um, pre K through twelfth grade um, in in all of our classrooms. And so, um, for 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 those educators out there that may be listening. Can you just talk to them about the, the planning that's taking place and what the vision is for how we're working towards ensuring that we have the professional development, we have the supports, um, and we, we have the resources for uh, our staff um, to do this at a, at a really high level?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And then to capitalize on something that Hannah said about you have to have district support. And so we want to come at this from a perspective of um, the entire system, and how can we support the entire system? Um, so we're at the very early stages here in Ankeny of just identifying, like, what's the research saying? What's it, some consultants we can learn from? You know, so we're creating a, a focus group right now, um, and this is this is coming out, this is right hot off the press. So right. <laughs> This is just coming out this in the next month, but um, we, we want to open it up to any staff member in Ankeny to say, are you interested in being this focus group and help get this initiative up and running? So we're going to spend the next, um, from December to the rest of the school year of, of creating some learning and understanding and identifying those anchor resources and who we can learn from. um, So that next year we can put out a professional learning plan for all of our staff Mm -hmm. um, with the hopes of um, launching professional um, actually launching the expectation that PBL is happening in all of our classrooms in the fall of 2025
2: oh, wow. to
3: some degree. Um, so that's, so again, we're in the very early stages of the planning, but we are looking about who are those stakeholders that can be on this planning team. Um, you know, what's the, the parent support look like? How do we educate the families? What resources um, and research is out there that we can learn from so that we can put a plan in place so that teachers are supported and have the resources they need for this to be successful.
0: Absolutely. Hannah, I saw you writing something down. Do you you have anything to add? No, that's
3: okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that that
2: focus group is a perfect way to go about it because then you do get educators that are a little more ready to, to dip their toe in and to have a group that is fired up about it and is excited, I think, makes things um, a lot more fun for everybody. You know, if it's just one more thing that they have to do, then it it loses some of its value sometimes, I think. And so the fact that it's effective, and it's a lot more fun to teach that. I mean, I'm going to speak for myself, but it was (laughs) a lot more fun to teach. It's a lot of work to teach that way, but it was a lot more meaningful for me and not just for the kids. So, I mean, I think that it's that – district backing and buy-in is super important and listening to the people
3: that are gonna have to do it every day
0: yeah
3: yeah and we're very aware that it's already happening in our district yeah you know right. not just in orbis but um in a lot of our classrooms and so how can we leverage the current work Absolutely. to help um you know lead the rest of the way for our teachers when i
2: think after the summer academy course this summer everybody left with something a lesson they could use in their classroom that was a big deal of mine was that i wasn't going to stand and talk for three days. Right. Um, they were going to leave with things mm-hmm. they could use. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we ended up with a, over 30 different projects that left that three-day course that were ready to go into all the different buildings. So, I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's happening a lot more than people yeah. probably know that it is. Yeah, I so. agree.
0: And, and, and what I love about what Hannah and Jason have shared uh, with us today is that um, project-based learning uh, just hasn't been meaningful to them as educators um, but it's also been meaningful to to the 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 students that they've served uh, throughout their career and so with that i want to thank jason hannah and amy for joining us today and thank you to all of our listeners for listening today and please come back for our next episode of let's talk about it we are
3: ankeny
0: thank you for listening to the we are ankeny podcast the official podcast of ankeny community schools